This program contains grown-up themes and language that the FCC doesn't like. Use your common sense. You're listening to Beautiful Red, a novel by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. Twelve. Jack rode the 90-minute train home, knowing she ought to use the time to get a quick nap, but was too wired to sleep. She really wasn't sure what to think about the things she'd seen and heard. She was convinced that the Red were behind the attack on Estella Rowan, but she was equally convinced that the people she met could not have been involved. Not necessarily because they were inherently good people, Jack didn't trust her judgment that much, but because it just wasn't their style, it would offend their sense of aesthetics. In fact, after what she had seen, she was sure that the majority of the members of the Red had no idea that things like the human control experiment were going on. Such was the nature of distributed systems. What Jack still couldn't begin to fathom was why the Red would want control over a prostitute. She didn't think it was some kind of sick art project, since Rowan had disappeared, and it's not art if it's not on display. But what use was she? She couldn't have been a threat to them, could she? I've had a few lovers who've been known to be a little chattier than necessary, Jack thought, and maybe one of them said too much. It could have been a tool to keep her from spilling what she'd learned. But she couldn't see why, if they were as ruthless as it seemed, they wouldn't just kill her. Why destroy her mind? And what about the man in Streeter's Alley? How did he fit in? Jack's mind was turning in circles and she wasn't getting anywhere. She fired up her display and started paging through her messages. There were the usual daily barrage of ads, subscriptions she should have cancelled, and correspondence she didn't want to deal with. Instead, she paged to a new message from Adrian and brought it up on her display. Jay, I realize you've already gone off on your wee adventure, but I feel compelled as your friend to remind you that fucking with people who turn other people's minds to mush may be hazardous to your health. I expect you to call as soon as you get this message so I can stop worrying. You'll be the death of me yet. And you used to be such a nice girl. You're too young for a midlife crisis. Call me. A. Jack chuckled. Adrian was cute, but Jack had to admit that her friend's half-serious warning did ring true. She should be careful, having seen firsthand what these people could do. Still, she wasn't about to give up now. It was nice of Adrian to care, so Jack fired back a reply. Adrian, you can quit worrying. I'm alive and well. And thanks for the warning, but I'm doing fine. I'll talk to you later with a real update. Jay. Jack closed the messenger and brought up her schedule. She had a full work week ahead of herself, so there was no chance of getting up to Vancouver sooner than the upcoming weekend. As much as she was anxious to get out there and confront Black Eye, she knew she could really use the next seven days to get more information and prepare herself. She closed her scheduler and her eyes. She thought about a quick catnap, but realized that the train would be pulling into the station before she would even get into the useful part of sleep, and she would just end up more tired than she was before. She opened up a tile game program and searched for players online. She found a group with whom she'd played a few times before, and killed the next few minutes battling it out with them. After a mildly embarrassing loss, she thanked the other players and signed off, her mind unable to focus on the strategy. She pulled up Phoenix's card and saw the usual message IDs as well as a link to a net location. 
Jack paged over and found herself in an immersive 3D video of Phoenix's art column. It wasn't live or terribly interactive, but Jack passed a few minutes paying very little attention to the content of Phoenix's talk. She set up her system to automatically grab new entries and switched offline as the train was slowing into the station. There were fewer passengers at this time of night, so she was able to stretch out a little and work the kinks out of her neck and back. As the train stopped, she got up, making sure she had her bag with her. She hadn't needed its contents after all, but she'd felt better knowing it was there. She walked briskly to the train stop and hardly waited at all before catching the line to her neighborhood. As the train passed a group of streeters, she was sure she saw someone with that nightmarish vacant expression she had seen on Estella Rowan and the man in Streeter's Alley. She shook her head and hoped that she was so tired she was just seeing things that weren't there. She arrived in her neighborhood and got off the train, still feeling a little shaken by the images in her mind. She passed a few streeters on the way to her building, but they were alert and aware, if not entirely benign. Jack avoided any confrontations, though, and pushed open the door to her apartment, just before 0100 UTC. Ugh, she thought. I'm going to be a wreck in the morning. She grabbed a glass of water and drank it down, and then made sure the birds were set. She stripped, stuffing her clothes in the autoclave, and fell into bed. She was asleep almost instantly. Jack swore one of those fucking birds clipped her nose. She pounded on the off button and stomped into the bathroom. She showered, dried herself, and sucked back a cup of coffee. Her eyes felt glued shut, but the coffee helped a little. She dressed and grabbed two breakfast bars. She was always hungrier when she hadn't had enough sleep. She was out the door and on the way to the train stop in no time, which was exactly how it felt. As if no time had passed since she was last here, getting off the train. Christ, woman, she thought to herself, waiting for the train. It's not like you're in your forties anymore. You've got to stop doing this. She admonished herself, admitting that the past few days had been more invigorating than any other time in her adult life. She boarded the train and noticed the same courier she had seen last week, looking much more chipper than she felt. She gave him a big smile anyway, though, happy for the sense of normalcy she got seeing familiar faces. He shyly smiled back, then disappeared off the train at an early stop. By the time Jack made it to her cube at Bellis, she was feeling more like an organic human being. She even remained in full control of her temper when Tony bounded over to her and thrust his foot at her. He was wearing some sort of hideous white-laced shoes with some kind of floppy thing pointing out the top of the laces, on which was stenciled some foreign-looking word. "'Aren't they to die for?' Tony squealed, nearly falling over from bouncing on one foot. "'Well, I do think of death when I see them,' Jack muttered. Tony was clearly not listening." They're one hundred percent authentic, genuine replicas, he sighed. The best thing ever. His gaze caught someone else arriving, and he practically flew to the door to share his joy. Takes all kinds, Jack thought, heading over to her cubicle. Jill was still on weekend, so Jack had no specific report to look over, though she had access to them all if she was looking for reading material. She started her beginning-of-the-work-week routine and opened up the consolidated logs for the past few days, just checking up on everything. There was nothing that jumped out at her, but her mind wasn't really on it. She had determined that Bellis didn't have anything to do with the events of the past week, that they were just a random stop along the way between the Red and Estella Rowan's poor, destroyed mind. Jack scanned the usual glut of messages that accrued after a few days off. Most of them were Bellis propaganda that she ditched unread, but there were a couple of real messages hidden amongst the crap. First, she opened a note from Mac, the Eastern System guy, 
thanking her for her help and pointing out that all was well again. She wasn't about to clue him into the falsity of that notion, just hit the ACK button and moved on. The other message was from Jill, saying that he hoped all was well and that he'd see her the next day. She hit acknowledge immediately, knowing that the message was a coded way of asking if she was all right. Ah, she thought, I never knew he cared. She started on her report for the day, keeping it light and frothy, letting Jill know that she was fine. She also started putting together an encrypted personal file, cataloging the information she knew and hunches she had formed. She figured that she would probably need to fill in both Adrian and Jill before she left for Vancouver, and she'd better start getting all the information organized. She made sure that she was signed into the underground boards under her box and jester name, mostly just to keep maintaining a presence there. She also ran a scraper to archive all the posts, so she could scour through them later for any useful information about the red and black eye. Technically, you weren't supposed to be using your own system when you were on the clock, let alone working on personal projects. But Jack had never really taken that or any other policy seriously. She ran a blocker that made it look like she was only running the Bella system, and was a master at watching multiple displays simultaneously. Jack figured that one of the perks of working security was being able to choose which rules you obeyed. She spent the day alternately poking at the Bellus logs, reading and posting to the underground boards, and preparing her two reports. She stayed in her cube most of the day, getting up just briefly to heat up a lunch pack from her stash in her drawer. When the end of the day rolled around, she finished off her report for Jill, then restarted her own system along with shutting down the Bella system, the final step in ensuring her private work went unnoticed. She headed for the door, having spoken to no one since Tony accosted her earlier. She caught the early train and made it home in record time. She had work to do, and she needed to get to bed early. There was no time to waste. She threw some food into the zapper and fired up her homemade interface. She knew that if she didn't get a hold of Adrian, the universe would explode, so she stirred her dinner while she sent the request to Adrian. She had a mouthful of something warm and edible, expecting to leave a message for Adrian to call back, when the Escher flashed and the pleasant audio alert sounded, saying, Income real-time secure message from Adrian. <clears throat> Jack said, swallowing quickly, Okay. She focused on her system and saw herself stride over to the Escher. Adrian, hi. Howdy, Jay. Glad to hear from you. I know, you've been very chatty these last few days. Hey, what can I say? Someone has to keep an eye on you. Laughter. Thanks. So, what's the good news? I learned some interesting things, but nothing concrete yet. <laughs> Jack imagined a sound of disapproval, though she had never actually heard Adrian's voice. Apparently, Adrian worked long and irregular hours and was rarely alone, so they never had an audio or visual conversation. Jack had never thought about whether this was strange or not until now. Lately, she had begun noticing how much of life was conducted over the nets, where voices and bodies were optional. Hey, Adrian. Yeah? What do you look like? Where the hell did that come from? And what kind of a question is that, anyway? Jesus, that's one of the joys of modern life. It doesn't matter what you look like anymore. God, Jack, you're not turning into one of those anti-net freaks, are you? No, sorry. I didn't mean to be offensive. It's just that all of a sudden, it seemed weird that I don't have an accurate mental picture of you. Sure you do. How my body looks has nothing to do with who I am. Same for you. How you picture me is as real as anything else, since it's based on what you know of me. When the vast majority of the people in your life are people you'll never see in the physical world, your imagination is all that matters. Come on, man, this is elementary etiquette stuff you learn as a kid. I know, I'm sorry. 
It just all of a sudden seems weird. Like if you say the same word over and over again 50 times, it stops meaning anything and sounds unfamiliar. And you were wondering why I was worried? Laughter. I'm fine, really. Look, I'm working on a complete report. I'll send it to you when it's done. It'll probably take a couple of days, though. Days? What have you been up to? It's not that much, but I'm adding stuff all the time. Besides, you'll want it thorough, right? Perhaps a fucking lootly. Jack laughed. Okay, then. I'll wait for your little report. Good. But you better keep in touch. I will, don't worry. Don't worry. Ha! As if. Okay, talk to you later. Later. Adrian broke the connection, and Jack shifted focus from her display to her room. Adrian's response to her non-secretor was pretty normal. Asking someone what they look like was pretty much the same as asking their weight or bank balance. Still, she found it a little odd that her friend refused to answer the question. She would have answered. Hell, she would have answered any of those questions if Adrian had asked. She thought that's what friendship was, sharing those things that you don't tell just anyone. But maybe that's not what it was. She wasn't sure that she was qualified to know the answer. You've been listening to Beautiful Red by M. Darisha Wayne. Find out more at d-a-r-u-s-h-a dot c-a slash beautifulred or subscribe for free at patiobooks.com. The theme music is low-level format by Bjorn Fogelberg. Learn more about Bjorn's music at fogelberg.com and you can buy the album Karushi Porn at magnatune.com. If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on the website. Send email to darusha at darusha.ca. Leave a comment on the patio book site. Or call the listener line at 206-984-2976. Thanks for listening. <laughs>